everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the JavaScript Jabber podcast. Uh, this week on our panel, we have some guests, but before I introduce them, let's introduce the regulars. We have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Orem, Utah. We also have um, Joaquin Larson. Hey, how you going? And I'm Charles Maxwood from TeachMeToCode.com. Our guests this week are Lars Bach and Kasper Lund from uh, Denmark. That's correct. Thank you for inviting us. They, they've worked on a few small projects like the Dart programming language and the V8. Uh, what is it? It's a virtual machine or a JavaScript well, implementation? Are you referring to Dart or V8? V8. Uh, V8 is just a small JavaScript engine okay. that makes uh, JavaScript go sort of reasonably fast. All right. Are the two connected in any way? I'm a little curious. Absolutely not. Well, to be honest, uh, we first did V8, and um, given our experience with JavaScript, we decided to do Dart. So they are sort of related. Okay. But they're not related on the implementation side. No. It's okay. completely separate. So, I mean, you guys built your whole career basically on building great VMs. Is that right? How did you guys get started in that? Oh, that goes all the way back to 86. You're probably not born at that point in time, but uh, that's when I um, started building virtual machines for a programming language called Beta, which was a sort of a uh, successor to... Uh, what? No, just the whole... Uh, um, it was Google's first project, and that's the whole uh, thing where Google's programs are always in Beta. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was funny. Um, <laughs> it was a beta programming language uh, that was a successor to uh, Simula 67. Uh, that was my first uh, virtual machine, so, and um, and after that, I got a taste for it. Um, it's very interesting to uh, to just tune the black box, making a programming language run fast. And then I joined the uh, afterwards uh, self project at Sun Microsystem Research Lab, and. Um, that was, uh, uh, at that point, uh, the most interesting implementation project I could find, uh, where they came up with very interesting so interesting ideas uh, to uh, make dynamic uh, uh, type languages run really fast, uh, came up with dy- adaptive compilations, uh, polymorphic inline caching, and, and, and stuff like that. That's like uh, motherhood and app pie when you do fast uh, implementations today. Um and then I went to a startup in Silicon Valley where we did a, uh, a system called StrongTalk, which is a, uh, a variant of Smalltalk with optional uh, static types. And um, then Java came along and we decided to, in the startup, to spend most of our time doing a Java implementation. And uh, sorry, just, just a quick question. Sorry. Um, so, yeah. So StrongTalk, it seems to me StrongTalk development was basically geared towards mobile and embedded platforms. Is that right? Uh, that's not true. That is uh, four projects later. That was a small talk system called OOVM. This is that was my second small talk project. No, uh, strong talk was for desktop systems. Anyways, we did Hotspot and sold the startup uh, startup to uh, Sun Microsystems, and um, that became the default JVM for for Java. And I th- I still believe it's uh, it's still running somewhere even after it got sold to 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 Oracle. So. Um, after that, um, I moved back to Denmark, and uh, that's uh, when I hooked up with Casper. That was a student at uh, Aarhus University. Yeah, I got hired in at, at that point to uh, to help out on a on a new um, Java VM for uh, for mobile uh, phones, and so we did that together here in, in Denmark. And before we decided that it was time to move uh, away from uh, from JVMs and, and do something even cooler. Right. So, what prompted you to make the leap from Java JVMs to JavaScript? 
well, there was a few a few products in between, but um, I think from my point, it was um, after implementing two Java virtual machines, uh, it was sort of getting a little bit annoying uh, doing the same thing over and over again, even though the second JVM was for mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it was a time to sort of uh, leave big companies and, and try a startup. And that's where we did the uh, embedded small talk system called OVM. Um, this was a tiny uh, small talk system, multi-threaded, that ran in, uh, say, a few hundred kilobytes of memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a very different system than the, uh, at least the server system that uh, Hotspot became. Mm -hmm. uh, so this was a very simple um, small talk execution environment for for embedded devices and it had some really nice properties like you could service and, and change code on running devices even if you were only connected through them uh, to them via sort of wireless connections and, and stuff like that so it was, it was kind of neat for for small embedded devices yeah and that's also where we learned the lesson that that if the programming language does not have curly braces, uh, it's very hard to convince people to use it. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, right? So, um, yeah, one generation later, it's very hard to get people to use curly braces. I was going to say, says the JavaScript <laughs> JavaScript geek to the Ruby geek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, we, we sold this uh, small startup to a Swiss company called Esmatech, and we did a few projects, and uh, it was time to do something else. And then uh, Google uh, called and, and asked if we wanted to do a, a new JavaScript engine uh, for their new browser, Chrome. And uh, we thought that was uh, interesting. I checked, of course, the performance of the existing browsers at that point, and uh, it was clear that it was easy to make something that was faster. So uh, it seemed like a, a simple kind of thing to do. So that's how we started V8. Right. So what is V8 written in? Is it uh, is it in C or C++? or? Uh, it's written in C++. Uh, the reason for use, well, we're using only a, a subset of C++, and it's made mainly to... To have a programming language that supports uh, abstract data types. If you use C, it's very complicated to to change the implementation without rewriting the whole system. In addition to being uh, written mostly in C++, there's also a, a fairly big component of, of V8 today that is actually generating machine code. So essentially, fairly big chunks of, of V8 is, is, is hand-tuned uh, machine code that we generate on the fly. Mm -hmm. So there is a, is a sort of symbolic assembler written in C++ code that can emit binary instructions on the fly. But generated from C++. Generated from C++, but uh, essentially you're, you're sort of writing uh, machine code uh, through C++ that way. Yeah. Is that kind of a just-in-time compiler or is it a little yeah. bit different? Well, uh, there's a just-in-time compiler in it, um, but there's also an adaptive compiler that does on-the-fly profiling of the application and detects uh, hotspots in the program and then optimizes the hotspots. Mm -hmm. So my understanding is that Node.js is actually based on V8. Is that correct? That is completely correct. So did you ever really intend for it to go toward the server or are you surprised? And what, what what's kind of your react reaction to that? Yeah, we were surprised uh, and we were <coughs> happy at the same time. Yeah. Uh, already early on uh, in the V8 product, we decided to open source it. And we also want to have a, a clean API that was uh, not tied to the browser. And I think that paid off uh, in, in, in several respects. Right? First, it turns out that somebody uh, shipped a, a phone based on V8 without us knowing it. And that was a Palm uh, phones. Um, 
and then Node.js came out on the server side, and uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, it, it basically they just took V8 without us knowing it and integrating on the server side. Of course, uh, over the last uh, two years, they have uh, sort of uh, wanted a bigger heap and stuff like that because they're running on the server side, and and we have been trying to help them out in in, in few areas. But that's pretty much it. So having a an open API people can use certainly pays off. Timing there was was pretty amazing because I mean if you look at at what what Ryan himself said that. At the time, he'd actually based, wanted to base it on something like Haskell or something else. And then he just basically saw, like, read about V8 and said, oh, I'll try that. And um, and here we have Node.js. So if you guys were a little bit later or maybe even earlier, then we wouldn't have had Node.js, which is something to think about. Yeah, and I think it's really changing the landscape of JavaScript because I think before, a lot of people just kind of thought about it in the browser, um, you know, approached it from the standpoint of, you know, Mozilla or Microsoft will manage our JavaScript VM. And, you know, and so they just accepted whatever limitations were there and now that it's available um, and it's it's pretty darn fast in Chrome and uh, it, it you know it's available in all these other environments including on on the server where you can just install node you know it really has kind of changed the landscape of JavaScript and what people can and will do with it I think one of the best things it's done in that regard is brought better architecture because people instead of always designing every project as a 20,000 long file they design it as modules and build them together Together more. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you can make that argument for, for just about any language if it's well thought out architecture. But, uh, you know, it is interesting that uh, I think I think Node kind of pushes you that way more than some other languages do. Well, it, it just wasn't as feasible before. Like I've used server side JavaScript systems um, other than Node where everything's a global and it's like PHP where you just include a file and everything goes into the global scope again. So Node really gave some good architecture there. And you forget speed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it inspired the imagination. So much. I mean, if you look at the growth in modules for Node uh, on, on on NPM, it's, it's it's amazing, right? So you, it opened this door for a, a whole class of developers who were only working in the web browser at that point, or also a class of developers who were maybe working server side, but they were doing it with other languages, and they were kind of like, you know, JavaScript is a toy language. What are we going to do with this? And then Node gave them a reason to kind of really look at it. Well, for us, it has been a little bit different because the Node.js has not been our target uh, when building V8. Um, one thing I should mention here is that uh, the main reason for open sourcing it early on was also to make sure that uh, we could sort of entice the other browser vendors to make faster JavaScript engines. And I think that worked to a certain extent. Oh, definitely. Yep. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the development of, of increase, I think when Chrome came out, it was about three times faster or something like that than Firefox or twice at least. And now we're getting at a point where not only has Chrome and V8 gotten faster, but others are nearing a parity. Right. Uh, maybe it's too much, but uh, they're getting faster at least. Well, and it's also interesting the fact that you open sourced it. So they can actually go and look and see what you did. Yeah. And and I think it's um, it's sort of a friendly competition in that we, we disclose everything we do so, uh, so people can take it if they want to or just uh, look at the ideas. Uh, one thing that's important is that we want to make the browser world better for everybody mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's, it is a fact that the web application developers, they program against the lowest common denominator. So if you, if you have a, a browser that's slow but has a big market share, uh, application developers will program against that. And it doesn't really matter if one browser has the speed. Everybody needs to be uh, beyond a certain bar before it matters. Yeah, definitely. Right. Are you thinking of any browsers in particular, i.e. maybe i.e.? Absolutely not. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, there's also that, and there's also just now that we're getting into um, mobile uh, program for mobile devices. There's not only the, the question of having slower browsers, but also having more constrained environments where performance, you know, means that much more, that much more. Yeah. Yeah, is, v, is V8 in Chrome for mobile? Oh yeah, of course. It was also in the the old browser for for Android. Oh, so, uh, nice. Of course, it's nice. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's also nice for us when we actually um, try to push the performance of, um, of of V8. It actually has an impact on our own own cell phones. It's kind of nice, and uh, you can feel the uh, the increase of speed there on uh, on the device you have in your pocket. Is that something that drives you personally as a developer to that you're actually improving your own tool chain in a way, the, your own experience of of writing programs? I assume that you were developing in Smalltalk uh, previously as well. It, it matters a lot, right? The fact that Chrome, uh, a new version of Chrome is coming out every six weeks is, is amazing as a developer, right? You, you're excited about speeding up a certain part of the, the browser and a month after your code is out used by millions of, uh, of users. It's fantastic. It certainly helps, uh, the excitement going in the team and it keeps you very very honest right if you if you push something that's great some people will notice and if you push something that's not as great uh, like if you actually introduce real bugs you'll know too it's a uh, it's very humbling so. so i've got a question for you guys uh about strict mode douglas crockford said that if width was taken out of the language that the language could be made much faster so is v8 going to become faster for strict mode code so, well, um, was that a VM implement again that said it could be faster? Um, the with statement in JavaScript? It, it doesn't. No, it, it does actually was a joke. Matter. So, it does not matter at all. So, of course, V8 optimizes functions that do not contain with in a different way than the functions that do contain with. So, as long as you're not, not using it, you're actually not paying for the feature. We're just, we're just bailing out, basically. The optimizations are ignored when you use with statement because you have a very dynamic scope and you have to do dynamic lookup of locals and so forth. Okay. So okay. whether or not I have to ask my noob question real quick. What is a with statement? What does it do? So with statement is is a is, is a so a program construct that allows you to essentially put in any kind of object into your scope chain, so that when you have uh, references to like local variables uh, inside a scope, it will start out by asking that certain object if it has that property and use uh -huh. that as the variable essentially. Like so, you can add new objects to the to your scope uh, yeah. that way. So it's okay. very hard to control, and it's hard for a, a VM to optimize that well because you don't know the structure of the object that you're you're adding to your scope chain at all. Yeah, right. And that and that object can change on the fly. So uh, it basically boils down to you have to do a a, a dynamic lookup whenever you're looking for something in your scope, which of course is non-optimal. Yes, it's it's dog slow. <laughs> is that is that a technical term? I yes. think I'm going to start using that. It is now, Mr. Client. This is dog slow. I got to fix it. But uh, but so the, so yeah. JavaScript, right, is an interesting scripting language. And one thing you guys have to understand is when we tuned V8 for JavaScript, we decided to um, to sort of find a subset of JavaScript we could tune and make fast, right? There's still a lot of stuff, uh, corners of JavaScript that uh, that's pretty slow. Like one is uh, if you use the with statement. Another one is if you use the, the, the delete, deleting a property in your program, and many of the optimization are, are turned off. So in essence, many of the JavaScript engineers today they, they only optimize for a subset of JavaScript. Right. So what do you do then if you want to delete a property? Like what would be the fast way to have that effect to assign undefined? Well, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. So I mean, there, there, so V8 and, and a lot of the other JavaScript engines, they, they optimize 
uh, under certain assumptions. So usually they will they will treat your objects as um, essentially they are big hash tables all the time, but they will treat some of them in a, in a smarter way where they assume that you're you're building a, a real structured objects out of them. In that mm-hmm. case, deleting them will actually turn them into hash tables again in in some implementations. Um, so it it will not be slower than uh, the implementation from uh, ten years ago, but it's dog it, slow. It, but it is dog slow. Interesting. Uh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So so objects right are in JavaScript are very different from objects in Java or Smalltalk or most other object oriented language in that that that's the only map you have. So often you use an object just like a, a map. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we had a long talk about that a few episodes ago. Um, so one one other question I have for you is how does or how did you come up with the name V8? Because before I got into JavaScript, if you'd said V8, I would have said tomato juice. Yeah, but girl, you know, normal people would say cars, but <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, sort of. <laughs> that's not as funny. Come on, guys. Hey, come on. The, the way it works is that we're... V7 was, sitting, was taken. I was sitting with Casper here, uh, and we're trying to, to create the, the name for the uh, uh, source repository. We need something short, and uh, we, we, we sort of knew it was called Chrome, and under the Chrome, we need a big engine, so we called it V8. Oh, there you go. That makes sense. And, and it yeah. was short. It was short. Yep. Yeah. So that was pretty much it. Um, and... Um, that's actually yeah. one of the biggest challenges in, in computer science, coming up with that yeah. initial name for your directory. Yes. Yeah. It's sort of interesting at Google, right? We we can we can maintain the internal code name to on the outside as well, which is cool. So it's state V8. Oh, nice. So uh, the other question I have, and this is going to lead us into talking about Dart. Um, what what prompted you to go and create something like Dart? You know, now that you've been playing with JavaScript for a while, were there things about the language you didn't like, or did you just yeah. want a little bit different challenge? Um. Yeah. V8, well, first of all, you cannot continue working on the same stuff forever, right? So we had to do something new. The second one is that it was also very clear that uh, web applications were getting bigger and bigger. Inside Google, right, we have like Gmail and Docs and, and other big apps. And it's basically many, many lines of JavaScript. And it's very hard to maintain big applications in JavaScript. So many big companies like Google, they, they have sort of, uh, they put some structure on top of JavaScript just to be able to maintain the, the many lines of code. And we have the JS Closure compiler at Google. So you can actually annotate JavaScript with uh, sudo types and you can check that and you can do tree shaking and stuff like that. So it was clear that JavaScript was sort of reaching the limit of how how big applications you can write them. Uh, at least that's how we saw it. And uh, so we were looking at coming up with a, a better language that's more declarative uh, and that would be easier to maintain if you had big applications. And at the same time, we want to, to make sure that we could solve two real problems with JavaScript. One is the startup time, which is pretty pathetic right now. And then the peak performance. Of course, we want to make it faster too. You know the way that JavaScript it started up in the browser. You you read in source code, uh, and you have to read all the source code before you really can get started. Mm-hmm. And um, that also means that if you uh, start up a big web application, it can take half a second or or, or more to load the application, and that's just too long in my book. Um, so we wanted to just once again. Is that from cache, or are you taking network network traffic into account? Or do you mean just even if it's from cache, it's going to take a long time? That's even uh, if you take it just from the cache. Um, if you have a large body of JavaScript, it takes a while to, to pass and set up and get ready to execute. And um, 
So we wanted a, a programming language that supports uh, snapshots so you could uh, do instant startup despite you had a big application. That was one thing. And the other one was that uh, we want to make sure you could have a faster peak performance. And, uh, and, and that is much more structured in terms of objects uh, cannot change on the fly in terms of structure. And that allows us to, to get better performance. So we, we envision that when it comes to startup performance, we'll get a factor of 10 compared to JavaScript. And the peak performance is should be at least twice as fast. Yeah. So one question I have then is there isn't a Dart VM in my browser, or at least I don't think there is. Well, it's um, in download uh, what we call Dartium. We have a, a build of Chrome with a native Dart VM inside it. Uh-huh. So are you hoping that this is going to be adopted across other browsers? Or is there some kind of shim that allows you to run Dart over the top of JavaScript? Well, that's two questions. One is, um, yeah, could we convince the other browser vendors to use uh, the Dart VM? Uh, hopefully so. But we cannot make that calls, right? They have to want it themselves. Right. But we have a translator uh, that translates Dart source code into JavaScript. So it will be compatible with the uh, existing JavaScript engines. It's very important to note here that we, we are not interested in, in, in fragmenting the, uh, the, the browser market at all, right? We just want to make sure that we get better system performance and we get a programming language that's uh, easier for big applications. So we're very serious about making sure that uh, a Dart program can run uh, uh, nicely on top of uh, an existing browser. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're, we're also making the VM available with a nice embedding API, and it's fully open source, and it's, it's out there and being developed in the, in the open. So hopefully uh, uh, some people like the, uh, the Node.js effort uh, and people involved in that um, or similar people will, will find this and, and use it for something else that we haven't uh, imagined yet. Um, so at least that was one of the very positive things about the V8 project was that we had to get people to, to use it without us knowing or trying to control it. That was really, really nice to see. Yeah, that was the next question I was going to ask is, do you see maybe Dart going the same way that V8 did in, in something like Node.js or maybe somebody, you know, using it on a phone and, and creating a, a mobile VM that people can, you know, do something other than web stuff with? Certainly. We have an embedding uh, API, so people can just uh, start using it for various uh, purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that's fine. One thing you can ask us is, <laughs> uh, what are you trying to do with Dart? Uh, so certainly getting these extra properties in when you do web application is, is nice. But also we think that if you want to uh, improve the web platform moving forward, right, innovation is very important. And uh, our small project Dart is trying to innovate uh, in the browser area, making a new language, trying to make it more efficient for the programmers to do applications and so on. So um, that's uh, certainly our, our plan. Right. To me, like, just to kind of go from that, uh, it seems to me like that Google has kind of maintained uh, an, an almost anti-JS position for quite a while, both in terms of you know Google Web Tools and, and their Java to JS uh, you know, uh, compiler and stuff like that. Isn't it simply just a case of Google not really you know wanting to learn JavaScript? And that that's simply not true, right? We we are heavy, investing heavily in JavaScript, right? V8 is a good example on that. We we are actually trying to make it as fast as possible and as uh, usable as possible. We've done great uh, developer tools for for JavaScript, uh, so that's not true. On the other hand, it's also important that you try new things. So I don't. 
don't see a conflict between uh, supporting uh, JavaScript 100% and also at the same time trying something new. Mm-hmm. So how does Dart compare? Because you, you said that you have a Dart VM that just runs Dart natively, but there's also the Dart to JavaScript translator. Um, <laughs> how, where do you see Dart in comparison with something like CoffeeScript that kind of gives you, you know, a clean API, uh, easy to use, um, that translates down to JavaScript? So, so the, the, the Dart translation is, is somewhat different than the CoffeeScript translation. CoffeeScript is a, it's a fairly sort of thin veneer around JavaScript. Um, and that, I mean, it does have some advantages because it's, it's a fairly simple translation process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the disadvantages, of course, that the, um, the, the pitfalls of JavaScript are still very, very visible to CoffeeScript programmers. Right. So all the, the, the warts and all the, 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 uh, the areas of JavaScript that are, you're trying to avoid as a programmer are still something you have to worry about when writing in CoffeeScript. In Dart, when we're translating to JavaScript, we put in the extra effort of, effort of, of, uh, like building a more complicated compiler that is, uh, doing more translation work to make sure that we have the same semantics in uh, so we preserve the the, the simpler uh, dart semantics even when compiled to javascript so avoiding some of these words for you uh-huh. sorry how about from javascript to dart well javascript is 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 fairly flexible right so you add properties on the fly you don't do that in dart in dart you you create a, a map and you use that for for adding information and stuff like that. So it's, if you're translating from JavaScript to Dart, I think you'll get a fairly uh, slow system out of it. I mean, you, you could uh, you could say that if you're writing your JavaScript in a very very um, structured way, in a very sort of uh, idiomatic way, at mm-hmm. least for some people, it might be possible to translate back to Dart. But it's it's still pretty hard to recognize if you're writing in that style and if you're very consistent in your way of doing it. So. That being said, it seems like there is a translation process from Dart to JavaScript. So how heavily did you have to influence Dart from JavaScript in order to keep it that kind of compatible? Um, it was um, When we started the language design, uh, we wanted it to be translated into JavaScript. So it's clearly um, in our head all the time. And uh, we had to sort of not do certain language constructs because we knew it could not be implemented as fast on a JavaScript engine. And sort of an example... Uh, on, on that uh, would be non-local returns, which are very handy. I don't know if you know them from Smalltalk, but a non-local return can can skip several frames on the stack when returning, and the, the only way to implement that in JavaScript is by using exceptions, and they're really slow. So constructs like that we have eliminated uh, to make sure that the translated version of Dart uh, to JavaScript can run fast. Mm-hmm. So if I were to write a program in Dart and translate it to JavaScript versus writing that same program, program in JavaScript, and let's yeah. say I ran it through the Google Closure compiler, uh, would I end up with faster JavaScript at the end? It really depends on what you're doing. I think there, uh, there's a lot of code where the, the output would not be faster, but it would be saner. So for instance, start semantics uh, involves doing like array bounds checks on access to arrays. JavaScript certainly does not. So um, essentially, the, the code that we produce is, um, is uh, sometimes there's a small price to pay uh, for, for that, and sometimes there's not. Like our compiler is also capable of, of, of doing more for you long term, like uh, doing some of the inlining and all those things in, in a more structured way than the Clojure compiler can do. So it, it really depends on what you're writing, I would say. But certainly our goal is to, to make sure that even though you have a Dart program, um, the speed on top of a JavaScript engine should be uh, comparable to uh, if you wrote that in, in JavaScript. Why why would browser vendors be more likely to to uh, accept Dart than something like your native client, for example, another Google project? 
Well, native client uh, uh, does not uh, interact well with the DOM, right? Uh, it's sort of in a separate space, running its own uh, uh, sandbox, and uh, native client that's is great. Kind of, I was going to say that that's something that could be overcome, couldn't it? Maybe. So, uh, so that is completely sort of uh, integrated with the DOM, and you can operate it, uh, operate on the DOM like if you use JavaScript. So I think for for building web applications, uh, this is uh, this is much easier using that uh, compared to 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 using the native client system, right? Yeah, and it's, but it's hard to speculate on on why other browser vendors would want to pick up technology and why they would not pick yeah. up other stuff. It's it's really hard. The history of, of browser scripting has been kind of ironic. I mean, we've had JavaScript, which, which people ignored for a long time, and they wanted to do everything in Java, and then now JavaScript is going everywhere where Java kind of wanted to go. Um, what what is kind of well? Why isn't the JVM basically the heart of the of the browser scripting language? Why isn't there a DOM integration with JVM? And there's many reasons for that. I would say. Is it heavily encumbered in terms of patents and who holds the rights and stuff like that? Uh, no, I think this is most mostly a technology issue. Uh, JavaScript was there, right? It was in all browsers, and uh, it sort of slowly grew and became more important in the browsers. And uh, with the last five years of work on performance, suddenly you can write big apps in, in JavaScript. So that's a big uh, issue. I think the integration between JavaScript and the browser was really important. Java had never was never integrated well with the browser. It always always had this applet window. Uh, the app was running inside, and so it looked more like an appendix to the browser instead of an in integral part of the browser. Does that make sense? Yeah, that seemed more to do with the fact that people, you know, kind of didn't really like using HTML as a UI. We had a long, long, long period where people were using XML and all other kinds of things for doing UI, um, uh, you know, sketchups. Mm -hmm. I think it's there's also another issue I'll, I'll, I'll like to mention that is right web web developers right they they're going for instant gratification right it means that you can basically change HTML and do a reload and you have your new app up running right away and uh, when you have a scripting language like JavaScript it's the same right you could embed JavaScript into HTML and and when you change the code reload uh, you'll get instant gratification when programming and that's extremely powerful you never had that with with, with Java right Java was all always about editing the code, running uh, Java C, and then restarting the, the application. The reason that I ask is, of course, that due to, I'm sure, your work with performance on, on Java, the JVM now has a very rich ecosystem of uh, Groovy and Scala and Clojure and all that. And there's basically the opportunity that people can write in whatever kind of flavor of language that they want and have it run everywhere. And I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking now that we're in the situation with ECMAScript is being, uh, you know, is, you know, they want to have all these strange constructs and um, and you guys are doing Dart and there was the whole thing with the client. Couldn't we see a situation where there's a generalized VM that, that other languages can build on within the browser? Oh, you want to, to do a multi-language VM. I'm just wondering if why that path wasn't kind of uh, gone down. Well, the problem is it doesn't work. Several languages, I, I'm not going to mention names uh, now again, but uh, several companies have tried to do multi-language VMs. And the problem is that uh, when you come to the bottom of it, there's always a compromise you have to make. Like if, you use, if you're implementing C-sharp or Java, you will have basic types, right? You have ints and doubles and longs and what have you as the core part of the execution. Whereas in, in, in JavaScript, you have... Uh, 
you, you have objects everywhere. And it's very hard to reconcile these two worlds. So if you do a, a VM uh, based on, on basic types, it's pretty much impossible to, to, to make it run fast uh, if you want to implement JavaScript. And the other way around, basically. But that's a trade-off then the developers are free to make, right? They can choose if they want to have a, a quick implementation or they want to have a, a good performance, you know, same like, you know, not naming names here, but like Ruby and PHP or whatnot. Yeah, well, so, it, uh, it's, it, you also have to be, be careful. So, so we're working in a, in a company, right? And uh, uh, when you start on, on sort of multi-language projects, it, it sometimes turns into this research project that takes many, many years to do, right? We, we were a small group here in, in Aarhus that had to do V8 and uh, focusing on only one language um, had the benefit we could, uh, we could easier reach the target. So, um, and it's just, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, from the outside, it seems to me that right now JVM actually does give languages, uh, does give developers that freedom where they can choose if they want to write in, in, in Jython or they want to uh, do a JRuby or Scala or Clojure or you know, yeah. standard Java. Yeah, but these languages you're, you're, you're mentioning here, they, they are using basic types. So I will still say again, if you, uh, even with a new Java, if you try to make an implementation of JavaScript, it will be, uh, it'll be falling into the category we, we, we talked about before, doc slow. It's just not fast. So it's like, I, I mean, that makes sense. If you want to get the fastest JavaScript, you have to write a VM for JavaScript. If you want to get the fastest Ruby, you've got to write a, a, an engine for Ruby. And mm-hmm. you can. Because JRuby is fast yeah but that has more to do with the implementation than the actual um like the way that that uh, mri ruby is implemented it, it has more to do with some of that than it does to do with the fact that it's written on the jvm versus written in c and compiled so kind of like the difference between writing web server that's using event-based serving and one that's using thread-based right in the sense that uh, you know they're they're using different paradigms to manage different processes and issues and uh, yeah so there are different issues between the two VMs and the way that they're put together so uh, a question I've got while we're on this topic is so Google has started Golang they've started native client now they're starting Dart um, it seems like at least two of them are, are definitely direct competitors uh, between native client and Dart. Like they seem, they're trying to serve the same purpose, get the browser super fast and make it easy for people to integrate. Um, and then Golang, it, it doesn't look like there'd be any problem with putting that in the browser. And I was kind of hoping originally when I heard about it that that would be the direction it would go. So why why are there, there are so many different directions um, that Google is going in right now? Oh, well, I would say that we should just be happy that uh, we're in a company that, that invests so much in programming languages so uh, that programmers can get the best choice. I'm, I don't see a problem at all. And also, I think it would be sad if we sort of sat down and, and only stuck with one language. Well, I'm thinking in terms of adoption, right? Like, like I can't use Dart until Firefox implements it, right? Who cares about IE? There's a lot of applications where you can just focus on browsers. Let's stop again. Didn't we just talk about there was a transfer? to JavaScript, or did we miss that part? What was that? We can still translate Dart to JavaScript. So, so you, can, you can run You Dart can in... run it today. So, so this is not true what you're saying. But not getting the full benefit of it. Well, but it still wants. Okay. They would probably argue that you could. Also, we don't really see uh, Dart and, and native client as competing technologies. They're very, very different. Um, like uh, Dart is, is, a, is a scripting programming language that is very immediate. You write your code and you reload your page and it's right there. And native client is a, is a different kind of technology and it's, it's great for translating C, C code to something that runs in your browser. 
it's it's very it's very different at the core of it. So um, my question is, what do you see people doing with Dart these days? Generally, well, first of all, Dart is not a a full product, right? We sent out a technology preview uh, um, sort of in the fall last year, and we're working hard on on making making it better. Basically, we uh, we can see from from the inside that uh, that people have started building applications, web applications using Dart, um, and and this is still uh, the target. So. So hopefully soon we can send out a a, a robust version, um, an SDK you can use to to do web apps with. That's basically our goal. We want to improve the way you do web apps. Mm-hmm. So so nobody's actually using it in production yet that you know of. Not that I know of, but it's well, it's a technology preview. So um, I don't think it's the right time to to build products on top of that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. If if any of our if any of our listeners are using it, I would be really curious to see what you're doing with it. So. Um, if you're using it, then then by all means, leave a comment on uh, javascriptjabber.com. And uh, you can probably also let Lars and Kaspar know so that they, you know, I, I think they'd be interested since they don't have an exact example of, of what people are doing with it at this point. Not not on the outside, right? But uh, one thing, we've got a lot of feedback from uh, from the community using that. And uh, so far, it's, it's very good, uh, the feedback. People are mostly trying it out, uh, making small apps, uh, but not for sort of commercial use yet. Right. So, is there a package manager uh, that that has gained traction in the community for Dart, or is it still just kind of ad hoc right now? Currently, there's none. Um, if you stay put for a few weeks, you'll see one. <laughs> oh, nice. Are Are you working on one, or do you know someone who is? Uh, we're working on 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 making one a simple one, uh, and it'll be out in the open source repository. So, if uh, if somebody has one faster than us, uh, submit it, and we'll get into the workspace. Cool. Just make sure you don't put your users table public facing. <laughs> oh, man. You had to go there, didn't you? All, all the node people are crying for a whole day or, or three. Anyway, let's, let's pretend it didn't happen. Actually, we're sorry. Um, so, so yeah. uh, 80, you guys have a pretty big team. You guys, I hear I have about 80 developers working on the language itself, and you have a very active bug tracker. And how do you kind of balance the, the long-term goals and, and you know, what, what people are, are clamoring for in the tracker? Okay, well, you're seeing more resources than I, I'm doing here from my side. So I don't know where you get your numbers from, but they are, they're, they're somewhat with, uh, inflated. But uh, we have um, we have a good-sized team working on that, but it's not only the language design. So we only have a few people looking at the, at the language. Uh, we've hired in Gilad Braca that did the Java specification uh, before. He's now, uh, he wrote up a specification for Dart, uh, but we're doing a lot of different things in the group. We're doing a programming environment. So uh, it's based on uh, parts of Eclipse. So you can do structure development uh, using uh, this editor. Um, we're doing a translator JavaScript, you know, um, we talked about and a virtual machine. And we integrated uh, uh, Dart into the, the Chrome browser. So uh, that's a lot of uh, different projects. Um, and also uh, on the open source uh, site, you can see that we have started to um, do a little bit of server code as well. So we can run uh, Dart on the server side if you want to. So and another thing that we spend a lot of time on is is, is actually a, trying to get the most of the um, and the best value out of the feedback that we do get from the community. And um, 
So you see a lot of us interacting with people on the on the the, the issue tracker and uh, and through code reviews and and working with people and not just from Google. So it could be that your uh, your um, team size is pretty accurate if you if you count people in. Uh, not working for Google uh, too. So the the interesting part is here. We decided very early on to um, to open source it, and we in in the Dart team we work exactly the same way as in the V8 team. Uh, whenever we have a change list uh, to the repository, it'll be sent out in the open right away. So we do everything in the open, and and hopefully that'll benefit the community. Yeah, so that, regarding that's... language features and stuff and, and, and feedback, I hear that there's a lot of a desire for mix-ins and traits. Is that something that you're thinking about, or or is it just that's not going to happen? Sure, we there's, there's a lot of requests for different language features, and um, the problem is that uh, you have to be careful not to add too much into the language. Right, we all really have interfaces and classes, uh, so if you also add mix-ins, right, it's yet another way of combining combining code. So we're trying to be careful not to just to add new constructs in. Uh, we like to keep the language uh, language very simple, and um, and and right now it is still very simple and it's sufficient for writing web apps. So uh, we try to be careful. There's also people that want to have uh, ways of doing tail call elimination and stuff like that. Uh, but I don't think it's very useful to have in the programming language. We're trying to keep it very simple so that with a background in Java or JavaScript, you can be productive within a few hours. All right. Well, um, I need to start wrapping this up. Um, after we're, after we end the podcast, if you guys want to keep talking, that's fine. I'll just leave it recording and, uh, you know, we'll we'll just post anything else that you have to say afterward in, uh, some bonus content because it sounds like Joaquim has a few more questions, but, uh, I have an appointment in, in about 15 minutes. So, um, what we usually do at the end of the, the podcast, and I should have emailed you and told you this, but I've, I've been swamped, uh, just preparing for the podcast and, um, and preparing for a couple of talks. I'm speaking at a conference this week and I'm an alternate speaker at one next week. So, um, I've been just trying to get all that together. Um, but what we do is we usually pick, uh, some items. Um, it can be anything from TV shows to programming tools, you know, just things that we like, things that make our life better, things that are kind of interesting or fun and, um, you know, just share them with the community. So, um, what I'll probably do is just have the regular panelists go first. Um, and share their picks, and that way you can think about what you want to tell us that you like and tell people to go try out. So, um, AJ, what are your picks this this week? I love bloggers. They make my life easier. I just love it when people write documentation for something for me to find to get myself out of a fix. I was working on... uh, The railroad? Yes, I was working on the railroad, and there were some shared workers there, and there were some desktop notifications there, and there was some session storage there. And I was cool, trying to railroad. figure it all out. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I there's just a couple blogs I found that really helped me out. I don't remember what they were off the top of my head, but you know, just Google searching. And so I'm very grateful for all you star stalwart people that are helping the rest of us get smarter. All right. Anything else? That's it. Okay. Uh, Joaquin, what are your picks? Well, I've been kind of, you know, going into the whole, uh, you know, self-improvement thing or whatnot. So I'm going to take uh, classcentral.com, class-central, uh, and it's basically a collection of, um, of free courses that you can attend from MIT and from many other universities that are offering free courses. Uh, and I think Yehuda, he touched on that also a few episodes ago, but I, I don't remember. But anyway, classcentral.com, and then also Memrise, which is, uh, it's been been buzzed a lot about and it's actually pretty interesting i've been living in thailand for 
quite a few years now, and it's the first time that I actually really gotten serious learning the Thai alphabet because it's uh, it's uh, it's a dog. Um, <laughs> it's got like it's got 88 characters. What the fuck? Right. Anyway. Uh huh. That's memorize M E M R I S E. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go next. For those of you who don't know, I'm I'm a huge podcast junkie. I listen to podcasts all day long. And um, I recently found one. It's called This Is Your Life. And it is by Michael Hyatt, who used to be the CEO of uh, Thomas Nelson Publishing, which is the largest Christian publishing uh, company here in the United States. I think it might be the largest Christian publishing company in the world. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's... he's uh, I think he left his position there and he's he's just out speaking and doing training and things. Anyway, this is your life podcast. He goes into a lot of things as far as, you know, improving your life in different ways. And, uh, you know, he usually has like 10 things that help you with whatever the topic is. And uh, he's only put out three episodes so far, but um, every single one of them has been worth it. And I've actually... I need to go back and listen to him again because they're just that good um, with managing your life and things like that. So just a terrific, terrific podcast. And then the other thing is, is my wife bought me for our anniversary, which is on Sunday, a Fitbit, which is this little device that you carry around with you and it tracks your activity and things like that. And uh, it's been really nice. It actually tracks your sleep too. So now I know it takes me about six or seven minutes to fall asleep and that I need to get more of that, more sleep. So, um, but it's really cool. It, it also tracks like your activity when you go to the gym and it says, you know, you've been, you were really active for this many minutes and you were, uh, somewhat active for this many minutes and you were sedentary for most of the day. Um, so, uh, you know, really interesting stuff. And, uh, I've, I've really been enjoying that. And, uh, now we'll go ahead and put our guests on the spot. Um, Lars, do you have any picks, anything that you've been playing with or enjoying lately? Yes, and I'm surprised you have not mentioned it yet. You should go to dartlang.org and try out our new language and then post your feedback. It's All actually right. very cool. People have religious attitudes towards programming languages, but they should try out Dart and see how it is. That's true. Pretty cool. You're starting a new religion. Yes, Bob. Yeah, I am. I have a kind of different thing. I recently installed a piece of software on my phone that um, that makes it go silent at night, and that's great. Ooh. Like at ten in the evening, it will go silent and it will turn on volume again the next next morning. That's a um, um, that's a blessing. Is, that works really well. I, it comes comes highly recommended. What's it called? Silent sleep. Yeah, I think something like that. Silent sleep from before Android. There there are a bunch of them, and I think they all do the trick. Just turn it silent at night. Be better. So uh, my only question is, is if I'm out late, is there any way for me to tell it, um, stay quiet unless my wife calls? <laughs> yes, of course. You can, you can, uh, you can put in all these um, uh, blacklists and whitelists if you, if you care to. All right. I like that. Wife, whitelist, mom, you, blacklist. You can also do the inverse if that Speaking is better. <laughs> Congratulations with your anniversary, uh, or anniversary uh, check. Oh, thanks. It's been a long seven years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My wife is a wonderful person and she puts up with a lot. As you can probably guess, since I do so many podcasts and stuff and I've been working a lot lately. So anyway, um, I just want to thank you guys for coming again, Lars and Kaspar. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really awesome to see people kind of uh, advancing the state of the art with, with things like this and I, I often wonder what JavaScript would look like if you could kind of reboot it and optimize it for how people use the web now. And so I'm really, really curious to see where Dart goes from here. 
Um, we are in iTunes. So if, if any of our listeners are trying to find us in iTunes, just do a search for JavaScript. We are the first podcast that comes up. Um, you can also search for JavaScript Jabber and we will definitely come up. Um, while you're there, leave us a review. Really, really appreciate that. And, uh, you can also subscribe from the website. Just go to JavaScriptJabber.com. Uh, we also appreciate comments. So if you have anything you want to add, thoughts that you have on Dart or anything like that, uh, go check it out at dartlang.org. Um, and, and also leave a comment here and let us know that you, uh, that you checked it out and, and what you thought. Because I'm really curious to see uh, what people think of of this new language. So, um, with that, we will wrap this up and catch you next week. <laughs>